0: Uh, my name is Andy and I lead Restored Church Uptown and as Matt and Kristen said, um, I did a leadership residency here seven years ago and uh, getting ready for this message, I was actually feeling really like nostalgic um, because we planted out of this church, like our church was planted directly out of this church. By the way, give it up for yourselves um, for helping us plant that. I'm serious, dead serious, big deal. And it reminded me of that time in my life and the time before you plant, what you spend a lot of time doing is thinking about what kind of church you want to plant. And I don't know if you've ever thought about before, like what makes a good church, what makes a bad church. But when you're in in the space of getting ready to plant a church, you have to think about what are we going to be about? What are we going to do? Like we have the Bible, but how are we going to express it? Like what do we want to see happen? Like what do we believe about communion? What are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? What do we believe about baptism? How are we going to do it? Um, and I don't know if you've ever thought before, you know, like, what makes a good church is it the music, is it the preaching, is it the building, the kids' ministry, like, what is it? And our team was scouring the New Testament to see what a healthy church looks like. Um, and when you're planting, you really want to know what, what type of church you're desiring to plant because you're asking people to, like, move and, and join your launch team, right? Um, and you're asking people for money, like a lot of money, more money than I'm comfortable asking for. And typically, when the kind of people that write big checks to church planters don't like to hear uh, what kind of church is it going to be? And you're like, a good one. It's going to be so good, man. Um, I'm going to be leading it, so already, great start. Um, you no, know, they, they want some detail. And so um, they, they want to, hey, this is what a successful church in our eyes would look like. is what we want to be. And so I met with, I had a meeting like that with a, a pastor of a very large church here in Southern California. It was a fundraising meeting, and he looked me in the eyes and he said, Andy, what kind of church do you want Restored Church Uptown to be? And I said, man, and, and man, great question to ask at that point for me. I just dove in. I said, we want to be a church that dives deeply into the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and we want to show the thread throughout the Bible that points to Jesus. And, and we don't want to just be hearers of the scripture, we want to be doers of the scripture, like James talked about. But I didn't stop there. I said, we also want to be a church that's highly relational. Acts 2, baby sacrificial love, generosity building one another up, living like literal family, even better than your family if they're not followers of Jesus. Spirit-empowered love, doing life together. And I didn't stop there. I said, we also want to be a church that's super evangelistic. We want to be a church that, that where non-Christians feel safe and challenged by the gospel of Jesus, a church that always assumes we have people in our midst who aren't currently followers of Jesus. We want to see loads of people get saved. And on top of that, we want to be a church that's spirit-filled and spirit-led and spirit-empowered, where, 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 where uh, people are, we see healings happen and, and prophecies come forth and demons are cast out of people and missionaries are sent out by the laying on of hands. And we want to be a church planning church. In light in light of that, we want to be a kind of a leadership multiplication factory, raising up men and women to, to fulfill the callings God has on their lives, and after I was done with this amazing, excited spiel of, a, of an elevator speech, this amazing pastor looked back at me and said, you're going to have to pick one of those. <laughs> he said, no church can be all of those things. And um, you know what's funny is uh, I kind of get where he's coming from, but, but honestly, I was, I was kind of frustrated. Because I thought, you're telling me I have to pick between being a, a church that has the amazing encounters with the Holy Spirit or being a church that dives deep into the, the text, the biblical text, the spirit authored through, through his people? I have to pick between loving my Christian uh, brothers and sisters like family or loving the world like the family that God longs them to be? You're telling me I have to pick between being a, a, a loving church or a church-planning church? And I just was wondering, is that the choice Jesus was asking me to make? And, and I don't think it was. And I don't want to bash this unnamed, amazing, generous pastor who gave us like $5,000 that day. I'm I'm grateful for him. And you know what? Um, To be honest, he's a product of how we have done church in America for years. He wisely looked at me and knew I didn't have all the gifts within me that would be required to create a church with all of those cultures I just mentioned. And, and, And the way that we do church in America, though, in the West especially, um, we really mostly only value the gifts of the one leader, the senior pastor, the lead pastor. Now, this church is different. That's why I'm in, and, and, and they want this topic to be talked about. Um, but, but, but we need all the spiritual gifts. The, the scriptures clearly affirm the need for leadership, but they never allude to a church being healthy with just one or two gifts. I think the best analogy, um, the, word for, the Greek word for, for spiritual gifts in the New Testament just means grace gifts. They're gifts given to you out of sheer grace. Um, And they're really, they're like tools. The ways God manifests himself through people to build up his kind of tools to build up his his new temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church, to build his kingdom. And I don't know if you guys, and the idea is um, that some of you guys, you, you have hammers, and some of you guys have nails, and some of you guys have cement mixers, and some of you guys do electrical stuff. This is a metaphor. I'm not saying you have all of this. Some of you guys are good at roofing and plumbing and flooring, and each of you guys play your part with the unique tools or equipment or gifts that God has given you, and we can build an amazing house. Is anyone here um, in the construction or contracting field, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, anyone? Okay, no Okay, no one, maybe. But um, there was a lot last service. I guess they get up early. they're used to getting up early to hit the job site, so just back <laughs> just through on Sunday. Um, but I, said, I asked them last service, I said, how would you guys feel if when you hit the job site you only had one tool? Just hammers, right? And here's the thing: it, when all you have is a hammer, right, everything is a nail. When you only have one gift that's being exercised in a church primarily, or only one gift that's primarily valued, maybe two, it really limits what you're able to do, the type of cultures you're able to have, the type of church you end up being. What What I want you guys to see today is that God doesn't call us to pick between being an evangelistic church or being a teaching church, or being a, a church that's deep. Even wild sometimes encounters with the Holy Spirit or a church that reaches people that want nothing to do with God. He goes, He wants to see all of those things take shape, but they take shape as we grab the tools or the gifts God has given His church, all of them. Now, I was a little worried jumping into today's talk. How many guys this week, you were at work and you were thinking to yourself, man, I want to hear about Ephesians 4 gifts? How many guys? Right, less hands. That, that was my fear, that you'd come in today and go, Man, It's kind of a niche church thing. I know Matt's pumped about it. It's like a church leadership structure, da, 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 ecclesiology thing. What does that even mean? Um, but what I want to say today is, is as we look at these gifts, I truly believe, as I've studied this and, and walked with churches over the years now, that every single one, every single person in this room who is filled with the Spirit, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, has one of the five gifts we're going to talk about today. So you may wonder, how does this impact work on Monday or walking with my kids on Wednesday or, uh, you know, my marriage on Friday or my, hanging with my friends on Saturday? Actually, it does. As we're going to see um, all of us get to play, all of us have tools that are not just um, wanted but are essential to building this church, Anthem Thousand Oaks, up to be all that God wants it to be. All right, so what I want to do is if you guys have the Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. Um, Yeah, I'll look at that in a second. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I'll actually start in verse um, uh, 8. It says, for it says, when he ascended on high, Jesus, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Again, he he died and was buried. Verse 10, the one who descended, Jesus, is also the one who ascended. He, He rose again and literally ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. So he says, Jesus gave these gifts to build up the church. uh, Verse 13, until, the until tells you how long the gifts will last for. It tells you what the expiration date on the gifts is. How long are these gifts going to exist? And Paul tells us, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I love the vision of this picture. If you can just picture it for a second with with your minds. This is a church that is gifted, that is equipped, that's building itself up and it looks more and more like Jesus. That's being perfected um, in the love of Jesus. And we'll explain what some of those statements mean at the end, but it it looks like Jesus, okay? Now, um, today I wanna talk about how we can become this kind of church. And and to do that, I wanna answer three questions. I have an outline we'll look at real quick. Um, Number one, what are the Ephesians four gifts? These three questions I wanna answer. Number two, who possesses these gifts? Number three, what are these gifts for, okay? So what are the Ephesians' four gifts? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, uh, pastor, or teacher? Um, I, I think you look at me, and this goes without saying. You, the minute I walked on the stage, you set your eyes on me. I work out. You guys know that, right? Like, you can just tell. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely at the gym on the reg with a bod like this, okay? You, you know it, I know it. Let's, out of the way. Um, and if you're a big gym guy like me, it's not hard for me, and maybe if you're a big gym person, it's not hard for you to imagine this type of guy that's at the gym. And, and, and not just at the gym, he, he's, he's walking down, you know, Teal Boulevard, or is it Thousand Oaks, whatever, yeah, Teal Boulevard some days, right? We've all seen this guy, right? He's got amazing abs, and he's got a shirt off. You're looking, you shouldn't be, you look real quick, you're like, oh, man, he's got huge biceps. He's got the pecs of an ox, Right? the shoulders of an elephant's huge biceps, and the legs of an 11-year-old girl. It's a real don't skip leg day situation. Some churches skip leg day. They just work the guns or the guns and the abs, whatever. Like, right? just, and from, from a certain angle on some days, they can look like a mature, built-out body, a built-out church. But what I want to say is that we need all five of these kind of core muscle areas that I'm going to talk about today that these gifts represent. And, and so to keep this brief, I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at uh, the different gifts. I'm going to describe them real quick. Uh, what are the gifts? Uh, I'm going to describe them. I'm going to say what's positive about them, what, what's kind of their shadow side, the negative side of them, what churches led by this type of gift look like, um, and then kind of name some, some people that you guys may know who may have these gifts. Okay, so the first one is apostolic, okay? And, and this gift keeps the church focused on mission. Um, The the Greek word for uh, apostles, apostolos, it just means sent one. Um, As I say apostles today, you might be thinking, isn't this how cults start? Not necessarily, okay? Real quick, I want to say what an apostle isn't. An apostle, an apostolic leader is not someone who writes Bible necessarily. Because the majority of the apostles in the New Testament did not write Bible. Four of them did. Um, And the guy who wrote more Bible than anyone in the New Testament was a guy named Luke, who was not an Apostle. Okay, so some people think, oh, apostle gonna be writing Bible. No, no one's writing Bible anymore. Okay, that's done. Um, also, to put you at ease, uh, word that might be helpful: the English word missionary is uh, from the Latin word uh, missionis, which is a Latin translation for the Greek word apostolos. Okay, so just think sent one, someone who goes to start new gospel work in places it does not exist, and goes to strengthen those works over time. That's kind of the entrepreneurial gift of the kingdom. Um, churches led primarily by apostles will tend to have really strong leadership development cultures. Uh, We just sent a friend of mine, a guy named Kyle, to Northern Africa, him and his wife, and um, he saw a guy within the last six months saved speaking a dialect of Arabic. He's learning. That's very hard to learn. It's very niche. And already in six months, he's seen a guy saved. That guy now leads a Bible study for two shepherds in this North African country. So there's three shepherds, learning about the shepherd. It's amazing. Um, but, uh, but right away, Kyle's like, hey, you're saved. Let's go. You're lead- you, let's, let's get a church started, okay? Um, and, and so th- they have that gift. Um, they love getting new churches started, strengthening churches. Um, some well-known apostolic leaders, um, I would say Matt Larson uh, kind of fits this bill. He loves starting new churches uh, in Ventura County. have got guys like Britt Merrick uh, nationally, guys like Jeff Bannerselt, Tim Keller, uh, in the 80s, guy named uh, John Wimber, way back in the day, St. Patrick in Ireland. Uh, there's a woman named Jackie Pullinger, who was an apostle to Hong Kong. You read her story, it's an amazing story of how she brought the gospel to a very tough space and place um, and really laid down her life for that. Um, Chris Venon, guy guy. Uh, Matt mentioned earlier, I think, falls into this. Um, I once heard a story that has not been verified by Chris himself, but has been corroborated by several people behind his back, That which is always a great way to start a story, that when NASA announced that they were thinking about colonizing uh, Mars, that Chris, with a straight face, addressed a room of guys and said, who's going to plant our first church in Mars? And it was serious. I've heard a joke that when Chris officiates a wedding, five guys come forward to answer the call to plant the gospel to the nations. So, They're like, I do. (laughs) Uh, All jokes aside, though, a church without this gift will become consumeristic and lazy. It will probably slowly die, kind of rust out due to mission drift or burnout in a church split. Uh, Church splits often happen. They're some of the saddest things. um, They often happen when the church forgets what their true mission is and who their true enemy is. It's like soldiers inside of a base shooting at each other, forgetting that there's a war outside of the walls and people to be rescued and territory to be taken. An apostle reminds you that we aren't fighting against flesh and blood, that we have a real enemy, we have a real mission, we need to keep going. Um, one thing I'm going to say about every gift is how they think spiritual growth, the thing they emphasize. Apostles th- usually think getting your eyes off of yourself and joining a church planning team uh, or going on an international trip is going to be the thing that's going to help you grow spiritually. So they tend to like, emphasize that a lot. Um, get on mission and your problems will seem smaller. Um, the second one I'm going to look at is... Um, uh, the prophetic gift, which ever, always freaks everyone out, um, this, one, this, this gift helps the church stay focused on God. If the apostle keeps them focused on the mission, the, the prophet keeps the church focused on God. They're men and women who call the church back to the heart of God and his purposes over and over and over again. They call us to seek God, to hear his voice, to rely on the Holy Spirit. The downside at times is they can tend to be black and white thinkers and they trust themselves a lot when they're not healthy. Churches led primarily by prophets have strong cultures of worship, prayer, fasting, social justice. They, think the te- they tend to think that the key to helping people grow spiritually is a supernatural experience, whether that's speaking in tongues or a prophetic word or a demon being cast out of someone, or just more intense obedience. Uh, and that might sound legalistic. It's not. It's like they call people to obedience in a way that's like, I love Jesus. I want to obey him. My buddy Tom is a prophetic leader in Temecula. He, he does this all the time. It's like the answer is like always obedience, but it's always beautiful. Um, the downside is they can at times have some strange services. Uh, they can almost think the weirder the service, the more spiritual it is. And sometimes it's just weird. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and they were um, using spiritual gifts kind of an error, and, uh, and they, were all, they would get in a room, and they would all speak in tongues at the same time, is what we can ascertain from the letter. And he says, if you all speak in tongues at the same time, and there is no interpreter, if a non-believer walks in the room, they're going to say, you're out of your mind. And church, the unhealthy prophetic churches still do this, and non-believers still think they're out of their mind. Uh, all jokes aside, though, a church without this gift will be a boring, it will be lax in their obedience, it will often feel directionless, and Christianity will often feel more like a religion than a dynamic relationship with the Savior. There's that like kind of cheesy phrase that's true, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. When prophets are in the room, it feels like a relationship. But relationships are messier than religions. Anyone who's been married for more than 10 seconds, anyone who's had a kid ever, Relationships, have, they're, they're dynamic, they're not static, and prophets can bring that, but they also bring a real beautiful relational peace. Um, that being said, they have amazing cultures of prayer, worship. Uh, they tend to see more healings and prophetic words, because they actually attempt to deliver prophetic words, and they actually attempt to pray to heal people, and they, so it happens more. Um, contemporary versions of prophets, I, I think Francis Chan, Jim Cimbala, Matt Chandler, those types of, of leaders tend to be very prophetic. Um, The third uh, type of a leader, or third gift, is the evangelistic gift. And this gift helps the church focus on those outside of the church who don't yet know Jesus or follow Jesus. Um, Evangelists just love being with people who aren't Christians yet. Often, they gauge how a church gathering is going or a uh, church-run event is going by thinking to themselves, how would my non-believing friend feel here? That's the whole thing. Like, oh, that guy's so weird. He's going to preach. guy from San Diego. (laughs) Oh, it's going to get, you know, whatever. I have a friend named Bianca. She's amazing. She had a housewarming party two weeks ago. A bunch of us from our church were there, and she was talking to two guys about, in a non-shady, weird way, just two dudes about Jesus, absolute truth, and how you can know if what you're building your life on is real. And one of them was, like, tearing up, and he just opened his beer. They have this weird gift where they're able to talk to people, and they're like, Jesus is king. You need to repent of your sins. And you're like, thank you. I do need. I do need to <laughs> repent of my sins. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I love Jesus. Again, we're all called to share the gospel. When evangelists do it, it just feels easier, and it just seems to be more effective. It's it's it's, it's, it's this burden. Um, churches led primarily by evangelists have strong cultures of outreach, justice, and church services that often can feel like a, kind of like a harvest crusade with an altar call every week. Um, at their worst, they can feel like a NICU at a hospital where there's all these baby Christians. And there's not a nursing staff to tend to them and, and help them grow up to maturity. And oftentimes, shepherding and teaching churches come over and go, all right, we'll change your diaper. We'll feed you. Um, whereas prophets can have gatherings that are off-putting to non-believers, evangelistic churches uh, have gatherings that believers can struggle to feel nurtured or challenged by, right? You're like, man, dude, I can't get saved again. I know where we're going. I know where I'm going one day, but I also know where this sermon's going at the end and I'm on board, man. That being said, these churches, all jokes aside, these churches see a lot more people come to know Jesus because they actually care about sharing the gospel with people that don't know Jesus in the same way that prophetic churches tend to pray for healing, so they see more healings. This church, these churches tend to be emphatic. I was saved in a church like this. Churches like this also, I think they have like this huge empathy. They think about, they keep um, on their hearts healthy evangelists on their heart, their heart is just broken for the lost around them. So when they hear like topics, they don't think issues, they think people. When they think like about abortion, they don't think about a political moral issue, primarily. First, they think about people in their lives they know that experience that and the trauma of that and the regret of that and the shame of that. Like, I want them to know Jesus. They think about things like mental health, they don't just see a topic. They go, I have my, my friend with mental health issues. I want them to know Jesus. They think about poverty. They think about all kinds of things. They go, man, I just want them to know Jesus. And, 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 um, and it's healthy for us. Without this gift, churches become self-righteous, religious. They judge the world. They usually get way too political because uh, they're trying to legislate morality instead of preach the gospel so people come to know Jesus and follow him like they're supposed to because they have the Holy Spirit, which is what the New Testament teaches. Well-known evangelists are um, Rick Warren, uh, Nikki Gumbel, who started the Alpha Course, Billy Graham, obviously, uh, Greg, La- Greg Lowry, Christine Kane, uh, some amazing people. Uh, the next gift is the shepherding gift, and this gift um, um, keeps the people of the church, the flock, and, and, the, and the health and the nurture of the flock kind of in front of the church. Uh, churches led by shepherds tend to focus on the protection and spiritual maturity of God's church. Um, they often think the way that you grow spiritually is uh, a lot of time by yourself, and a lot of times doing the right things, and a lot of time being with, a lot of times being with the right people. Um, and, and again, so so it's great. That it's like practices and people are the things they focus on, which are great. Uh, kind of counseling, discipleship, very intentional. Um, the problem with it at times is it can almost seem like if you just do the right stuff with the right people, if God isn't real, you'll still grow. Um, it can be more. It can almost be too systematic. Um, they have the opposite of the problem of the evangelistic church at times. Uh, they don't have as, as many people coming to know Jesus. Um, that being said, though, um, Jesus said, men and women will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And they tend to be really good at loving one another in a healthy church led by a healthy shepherd. And so it is a both. Again, we need all of these. Um, um, uh, churches that lack this gift, gift of shepherd, will feel more like a classroom or a, a worship concert or a conference or a crusade, then, then they'll feel like a church. This gift makes the church feel like a family. Um, uh, some, uh, there's not a lot of well-known shepherds. I'll say some well-known shepherds, there aren't many, because they're gifts best delivered close in one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one settings. Uh, but one of you guys know is probably a guy named Kevin Bailey, uh, Anthem Camarillo, a uh, guy is a shepherd. If You want someone to, to, to cry with you and be with you and love you and nurture you, it, it's, it's Kevin, man. He's amazing. Um, some that are famous, uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote, just wrote books about not trying to be famous and loving your flock. He, the, he, wrote the, he, he did the message paraphrase. It's not a translation of the Bible. There's some goofy phrase. It's not, not faithful. It can just have some goofy renderings. But he wrote that for his church. That's a lot of people don't realize. He wanted his church to have, read a Bible that, 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 that made sense to them. Um, uh, Elise Fitzpatrick's an uh, amazing woman, uh, shepherd. And so, yeah, some, some of those. Um, Paul Tripp. Um, next is Teacher. Uh, Teachers want to keep the scriptures themselves in front of us. They want us to be able to focus on the scriptures themselves. Um, Teachers make the truth of the Bible come to life. They love theology. They love scripture. Um, They help the community to be faithful to God's word. Um, Churches led primarily by teachers get really excited about studying and reading scripture. Um, uh, The danger is, though, is that they can have a very academic and almost lifeless faith. It's like Jesus came to just teach you stuff in a classroom. And you should start more classrooms with the right books, of course. They can care more about being right than righteous. They can also have really high academic requirements to be a leader, requirements Jesus himself did not have. Jesus chose fishermen, right, in an unhealthy teaching church. You know, it, again, the, the apostle's like, you might not be saved. You ready to plant a church? The teacher's like, uh, you don't have a doctorate? You're not touching that small group. So, again, kind of that, that uh, thing. which can really slow down mission. Um, Their discipleship strategy usually relies heavy on reading a bunch of books that the majority of the world cannot read. I'm trying to be funny, so so there's some limitations to it. But you guys, gosh, aren't you so blessed by the the ministry of quality, good teachers? Our church just went through a, we did a 100-day series where we read through the entire Bible in 100 days. And like 70, 80% of our church did it. I was so pumped. But one of the things that made it infinitely easier was the ministry of, of Tim Mackey and the Bible Project. That these guys, if again, bad teachers go, I want you to come to me, good teachers go, I wanna equip you to know how to read the Bible yourself, which is what their ministry is all about. Um, so grateful for people, um, uh, Beth Moore, Jen Wilkin, um, two very different Johns, John Mark Comer and John Piper. Um, people like Andrew Wilson, Preston Sprinkle, used to be in this church, Dallas Willard, D.A. Carson. This gift is vital. Churches that lack this gift will struggle often with bad theology, messages from the culture, or bad messages that infiltrate the church. Um, You'll be be prone to some really, and again, people live out of what they believe, and so you'll end up with some very unhealthy disciples if they don't know the truth, because what you believe impacts how you live. What you believe impacts what you feel, and what you feel impacts how you live. So, so that's what these gifts are. And again, now you might be thinking, oh, it's kind of theoretical, Andy. That's oh, cool. Like you just mentioned some, some leader people. Uh, that's not really me. Uh, I want to go into number two now, which is who has these gifts, okay? As I was working through th- these five gifts and these five types of churches, what I want you to know is that Jesus wants all five of these gifts impacting every church so that every church can can show off who he really is. Jesus was the great sent one, the apostle of God. He left heaven for earth. That's a missions trip. He was the ultimate prophet who revealed not only God's heart to us, but God himself. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He often said, Come to me. Jesus was the ultimate evangelist. The good news was literally about him. Jesus was the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus was the ultimate teacher of truth. He is truth. For the church to reveal Jesus to the world, we need to make space for all five of these gifts. And that's what this message is about today. Will, will you receive from, from other gifts that maybe are different from you, that challenge you, that might even make you uncomfortable? The apostle always wants to send people out a little earlier than you would like. The prophet always wants to do stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable and, and you just don't know that require faith. The evangelist is just always just getting out there and, you, and you're worried, man, we're, we're rubbing elbows with people who don't share our faith and our values. Is that... Where's that going to go? My family, you're nervous. The teacher can, you know, oh, man, we're reading another book. I don't like reading, whatever it is. The, the different gifts you need. The shepherd wants to talk about your emotions and your idols and what you're living for. But you need all of these. Will you make space to receive from them? And again, your leadership team's a humble one. Matt is a humble lead pastor. They don't think they have all the gifts inside this church already. And so they, they've made space to, to, to receive um, gifts in from the outside, apostolic voices like Chris Venon or Rob Hutton, prophetic voices like Nick Hardy, evangelistic voices like Brad Sarian, teaching voices like Bert Alcorn, shepherding voices like Kevin Bailey. But they don't just want to invite outside gifts into this local church. They also want you, Anthem Church, to step into these gifts. I pray one day you don't need a lot of people to come visit and do it because it's all here. You're sending out these gifts because there's so many of them in this space and place. Um, if, you, if you're like, what? Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, okay? So whenever you want to know what a passage is all about, you want to jump back to where it started. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. It says, now grace was given to, to who? Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Who's us, Andy? Again. Let's go back again. Let's go to verse one. Paul says, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live lives worthy of the callings you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Who's that for? Who's that written to you? No, no? Okay, we'll keep going. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of who? All who is above all and through all and in all. This is for all Christians. None of the verses we read before verse 7 would anyone go, ah, yeah, I don't know if we're called to to unity or to that faith. I don't know if that all means us. I believe everyone in this room has one of these five gifts. Now you might, oh my, you're saying apostles are in this room? Yes, but they're probably underdeveloped and immature, okay? Or they're, or, or or they are walking in. I don't even know. I don't even know all the ministries you guys have going on and what's happening. Now here's the thing: when I talk about this in America, we tend to think if you're gifted, you're a leader. The Bible says if you have character and you're gifted, you're a leader. Matter of fact, it says, if you have character and gifts, you're a leader. It highlights character. So there are, um, I have experience being ministered to by a mature prophetic leader. Get into that in a little bit, a life-changing way. I've also seen immature prophetic types ruin churches and divide. Uh, An immature apostle can build up a thing to make themselves a big deal and kind of franchise out a brand. A mature apostle lifts young men and women up and sends them off into their calling, whether he gets credit or not. Then they go to the nations to fulfill God's calling on their life. That's their joy. Does that make sense? A a bad shepherd, immature shepherd, makes people codependent on him or her. You need me. A good shepherd nurtures you to where you can become a shepherd to, to others. You see what I'm saying? And so, so so there are mature versions of the gift. There are immature versions of the gift. Um, but, but, but I want to ask you, do you feel a tug? If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, do you feel a tug in any of these directions? I'm not even saying you're good at it or you're walking in it. I'm saying do you have a passion or a desire? Do you feel drawn to to, to to truth, to theology, to scripture? Do you do you feel drawn to prayer, to seeking God's face? Are you sensitive to him? Do you have this entrepreneurial kingdom thing? you want to go start new things and see things get started? They're kind of the foundation crew of the kingdom. Start building new buildings, you know, getting them started. Are you burdened to help other Christians mature and grow and love one another? Like you, you love this stuff. Does your heart break for your lost friends and neighbors, your coworkers? Do You go, maybe I lack the courage, but my heart breaks for these people. You're probably an evangelist even if you're not doing it right now. And here's the thing is, is we need these gifts. The other men and women in this room need these gifts, but this city and this county and this region need your gifts. And so that gets into number three. What are the gifts for? It says that they're for the equipping of the saints. And the word equipping, I think it's a bad, um, not a bad rap, but, a, but an incomplete rap. I think equipping in most American churches, uh, like I was a part of a big church, and they had the, the equip department, and the equip was like the classes we offered. And it was just information. It was just teaching, basically, you know, teaching uh, content. It was very little uh, anything else. But actually, equipping is a broader term in the New Testament. Um, there's a, a pastor in New York City, a guy named John Tyson that we love. And, uh, and, he, and he actually says you could look at equipping in a couple of different ways. I'm actually going to share the I'm, – I'm, I'm using his points. I have my own way of describing it. Um, but, he, but he talks about a couple of different things. The first one is, is equipping involves this idea of healing a broken bone. This is one aspect. Now, don't think physical, okay? I think spiritual healing. In the book of Galatians, it says, you who are spiritual, gently restore those who are ensnared in sin. And, And the word for restore is the same word that you would use to talk about resetting a bone. It's a medical term in the ancient world. And that's a helpful word because it says that when we challenge someone or call them out of sin or dysfunction or like toxic tendencies, that as we do that, it's not punitive. It's restorative. It's a doctor. It's not a you know. It's 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 not it's not the cops. It's it, it, it's a doctor restoring. Okay, I'm not bashing on cops, but I'm just saying it's not a you're 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 caught for what you're doing. It's I want to. I'm pulling you out of this. Um, uh, again, imagine a doctor who. Someone comes in, imagine, you know, you're driving, you're riding a motorcycle down the street. Let's say you ride a motorcycle. You're, you're a wild, fun, you know, crazy version of yourself. And you're riding a motorcycle and you fall off and you, you break your, I think this is your tibia. Is it, is any medical people, is this your tibia? Whatever your shin is, it's snapped in half, okay? And, 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 but let's say it's not fully snapped in half. Let's say it's cracked a lot and it will break in half soon. And, and you get to the table and the doc's like, oh man, I don't, I don't ruin this guy's day. He's like, that's fine, man. Yeah, you'll be fine take some Advil. It'd be good. Is that love? No, he's setting him up for future pain, okay? At the same time, imagine you come in, same injury, and the doctor takes out a hammer and then fully breaks it. <laughs> also a bad doctor, right? That's not restorative. So goes, hey, this is where you're at, but I want to help you out. That's equipping is to, to call people out to, to lovingly help them heal. Um, uh, 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 another idea, and it's similar, but it's different, is the idea of restoring something that it's lost its luster, like an antique. Um, my wife and I were given a lot of money by a guy we don't really know very well from another city uh, who's a follower of Jesus who heard about us and wanted to bless us, and, um, and we never thought we could buy a house, and then we could all of a sudden, and so we bought one, and when we bought it, um, the, the floor... got in there, the floor was green carpet, and it had a bunch of like dog pee stains, which isn't a great vibe for hosting. And uh, we had some extra money off of what they gave us, and I called the guy, and again, I don't know how often you get given large sums of money. I don't know the rules. I was like, hey, we don't need it all for the down payment, because the house we got was cheaper. Can we use it to renovate? He's like, it's all yours. It's a grace gift. I was like, this is Charismata. This is crazy. And uh, and so we renovated it. And what we did was we pulled up the carpet and we renovated the floors. And the floor was already there. It had lost its luster. Everything that was in that wood to make it awesome was already in there. It just needed to be, um, it needed to, to, to be restored. And so maybe for you, you, you need restoration in your life. Like you've lost something. Like it's there, but it's just not active right now. It could be your faith, your joy, a calling that you were confident in before. And maybe you need restoring. Um, for others of us, this gets into the teaching aspect. Another uh, aspect of equipping is this idea of preparing a ship for a journey. Um, back in the day when you were out on the open seas, there was no going back if you forgot something. You want to like hit Patmos, oh man, Trader Joe's run, we're going to, to Malta. Going to Cuba, you know, like, like the, it, you, you were where you were, okay? So you, you want to put, you want to load up everything you thought the ship would need before you went on the big journey. And, um, and so this looks like uh, teaching and training people, preparing them for the journey that's ahead of them in their life, Okay? And this can be information in Bible knowledge, but it can be all kinds of stuff. Um, another, uh, another aspect of equipping is, is another picture is this idea of preparing a soldier for battle. Um, I, uh, it's the idea of preparing someone for the, the battles they're going to face in their life. Um, I am starting sex ed with my son this week, which is never something I thought I'd say. And, uh, and so we've got this manual, and it's, it's got all the great diagrams and the funky pictures. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that stuff, and then we're going to talk about, but then what we're also going to talk about, this is why I'm excited about it, I'm not just viewing it as an awkward convo, I'm looking at it as a chance to disciple him, and a chance to talk to him about stewarding his sexuality, so that it's a blessing to him and to his, you know, his wife one day, or if he, if he ever gets married, um, but, 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 but teaching him how to uh, prepare for a battle now. We know that that. Um, there's, very, there's a huge difference between theory and practice, between the classroom and the battlefields. Uh, the great theologian Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's true in our Christian life. We can go, oh, man, if I just read this discipleship manual, I'm sorted. And, and life's more complicated than that. So we want to prepare people um, for, for warfare, for what they're walking into. So some of you guys in this room, you need healing. Some of you need restoration. Some of you guys need preparation or training. But what I want to say is, all of you are called to equip each other. All of you guys are called to restoration, to, to preparation. And so, how do we minister to each other? And again, and I'll just share in the last like two months how people have ministered and equipped me, okay? Equipping is not just teaching you facts in a classroom. That can be a part of it, but that's not the totality of it, okay? It looks like normal, everyday, Jesus y stuff that he did when he walked on this earth and ministered in the power of the Spirit. Give you a couple of examples. Um, is Greg Lennox here? But oh, there's Greg. Greg was at our church last week and I was preaching on the father heart of God and his daughter was in San Diego. That's why he was there. He's not cheating on you guys or anything. Um, but, uh, but he was visiting and being a great dad because he's a good dad. I said, man, I'm preaching on the father heart of God. Greg, would you pray for people? And I actually, at the end of my message was like, I want prayer. And so I went over and, and he, he prayed for me. And it was a simple prayer about how God has loved me since I was a child. And that he's a father to me. And, and it, it did something in me. Um, last night, we had a friend of ours birthday party, and, um, and people got into a half circle, and they affirmed her. And they just said, this is what I love about you, girl. That's what I appreciate you. This is how I love the way God's created you. Here's how he's used you in my life. That's equipping. It's restoring. About um, two, three weeks ago, I was really struggling at the beginning of the year with this idea of vision and having a vision for the church. And this always happens to me when I feel like I have to link the teaching series exactly to the vision thing. And there's times where it works, like what you guys are doing. There's times where I'm like, I'm kind of forcing it. Some of these initiatives aren't fully ready yet um, and stuff. And so I was struggling. So I called my buddy Tom Logue, who's a prophetic leader at Restored Temecula. He leads Restored Temecula, but he's a prophetic guy. And I was talking to him, and he, he just brought back to mind this prophetic word that I actually remembered. And then I, I reached out to a guy who is an executive pastor at a church in Dubai, I know, about vision. And, and he said, and they both prayed over me the same thing. When we're not totally sure what to do, what has God already called you to do? Just do that. And he'll open up the new stuff. that He'll clarify the stuff that he wants to change. And it was just so helpful. Like, I felt such a burden lift. And then yesterday, Tom was in San Diego at a pastoral care training we were doing. And he was wrestling with some stuff personally in terms of just pacing and running really hard, being a good pastor, meeting with a lot of people, but getting really tired. So I was just giving him very practical counsel, preparing him to, you know, let's, I wanna see you make a dude and, and, and not get too tired and burn out. And so we were talking and, and, uh, and, and it, was, it was great. And I was equipping him in it, the same guy who equipped me, I'm equipping him. Um, yesterday, Tom was down for a training and uh, we had a training on pastoral care and counseling. Um, we have a weird thing at our church, uh, we have 120 members, and we have 12 people who are MFTs or psychologists or within a year of licensure in either of those fields, which is weird. So I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? Like, I think you might be wanting to do something. We felt for a while God wanted us to start, like, a counseling center, uh, potentially. And so we have a gal on our staff team called Ash- – uh, her name is Ashley. She was saved in our church about seven, eight years ago. She is um, a clinical psychologist, and she is um, started a, inside of our church a counseling pastoral care ministry and she was doing uh, a training for, for lay uh, counselors. She was equipping people to walk with people and some basic core stuff to just help people get a lot better at the front end. And then talking through when to refer and just some, some really, really cool stuff. She did a three-hour, very much a professional presentation. Uh, she had gone to a Redeemer, Tim Keller Church. They have a counseling center in Manhattan in New York. And she went to their training. And so she's giving all these practical tools and walking through some of that stuff and some stuff she's tweaked for our church. And it's amazing and it's helpful. And towards the end of the session, I just thought, you know, Ashley's stepping into a really rare, unique space. And she just blessed us. I said, man, I would love to like pray for her, pray God's protection over her. I think she's doing a really pioneering work that could impact a whole region, could impact a whole family of churches and even churches outside of our family of churches to provide competent, Christ-centered care. And so I'd love to like just pray over her. And this woman who had equipped us, we then prayed over her. And, and, and my buddy Herrick, who's the other pastor at Restored Temecula, he had a prophetic word. It was kind of nerdy. Star Wars oriented, and he had a picture of um, Ashley with a lightsaber, and she was facing an enemy no one else wanted to face, and then, I, I, and I, at the exact same time, I had a picture of her in a gladiator arena with a sword, and she was facing down a lion no one else wanted to deal with. And, and we're praying for her, and she's in tears. There's like 20 of us praying for her, and she's in tears. We're equipping her just in a different way. We're preparing her for battle the way that she was preparing us for a journey. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like equipping doesn't just look like teaching in a classroom. Last one I'll share is this, is um, I was in South Africa for the first time about seven years ago, and um, I, I just was really self-conscious about my preaching, and I was feeling really insecure as a young leader. We had just planted the church, and I was really worried, and, and Meryl Venon, who's been referenced, you know, Chris's wife, she came over and she, she prayed for me. She's one of the most gentle people in the world. And she prayed over me and she said, Andy, I have a, a picture of you as a kid and you, you've kind of been a chameleon your whole life. Like you, you keep, almost like you're changing your clothes to fit in with whatever group of people you're kicking it with, which was totally my life. And she said, I feel like God is saying you're no longer a chameleon, that he's called you to be a lion. Chameleons always try to blend into where they're at. Lions go, I'm a lion, I'm here, adjust to me. The lions don't walk around, you know, oh, man, what do the Impalas think of my mane? Is it a good mane day? They, they kill, they sleep, they eat, they do the thing God designed them to do. And, and some people are blessed, I guess, and some people are, you know, but, but they do what they're called to do. Ministry is not complicated, but it leads to some beautiful stuff. And we need all of these gifts. T- to lose any of them is to not be the church Jesus wants us to be. Uh, last story, I, I, this came to mind last service. I was in a, um, a country few years ago, a foreign country, and I was sitting with a couple, and um, they had been heavily influenced by like prophetic ministry only, and so every, the answer to everything is a miracle. I believe in miracles, and I believe in healings, and I believe in, um, but that was the answer to everything was healing in this life, God doing it, and they had a um, a uh, nine-year-old who had Down syndrome, a beautiful little kid, and as we were talking to them, the, the overwhelming, the conversation just coming back. Their life, they were really struggling, and they they couldn't like grieve it because they kept and, and they couldn't go. I love this amazing kid in front of me, and they couldn't go. This is hard for us to understand why why this happened. Um, they just said, we, "God's God's gonna heal him. It's gonna be fine." And they kept they, it's already been prophesied. And, and I'm just I was just watching them, and I remember just being so torn up, thinking like, "I, he is gonna be healed one day." And, and you know what? it doesn't really matter. It, it's a beautiful kid right now that they're missing out on. They, they need a shepherd to come alongside them and cry with them and be with them and encourage them and help them see what's the, the beautiful person that's right in front of them. And they need a teacher at the appropriate time to help them see how God can be good in the midst of suffering. It, it, we, need, we need all of these gifts. We, we're lesser for them. And, and, and if we have all of these gifts, it leads to something amazing. And we see it in verse 13. This is the last thing I'll say as we close. It says, we have these gifts until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's kind of a tongue twister of a phrase, but to break it down, Paul, Paul says that, that these gifts lead to a mature church kind of the idea of like, I don't know if you guys remember as you would grow up as a kid on your birthday, maybe your parents would kind of use like a pencil and kind of draw where where your height was on the wall. They own the house, I guess. Um, Or maybe use pencil pen, I don't know. And uh, right, and they measure everything to see where you're at. And, And Paul's saying he wants the church to be measured up against Jesus. Like if you measure it up against the love of Jesus, if you measure it up against the values Jesus had, the way he spent time and money and energy, how he lived, would we fit? Would it look like him? Then there's this idea of stature and it can mean height, but it can also mean reputation or renown. Are we living up to the reputation of Jesus? This Anthem Church, Thousand Oaks. Jesus was known for certain things in the scripture, for being a friend of sinners, for healing the sick, for preaching the gospel, for his obedience to the father, for making disciples, for loving the outcasts of society, and ultimately for laying down his life on the cross. Radical love is what his life was characterized by. Do we live up to the reputation of Jesus? Are we known for radical love? Are you known for radical love in the Conejo Valley, in your families, in your workplaces? And then fullness. This morning on the way here, I poured coffee quickly at like 4.45 in the morning and I spilled it. It wasn't great. If you've ever like, you know, overfilled something up to overflow, it's not always great. But to be filled to overflow with Jesus is a beautiful thing. It means you have something to pour into the cups of those around you the reality of this Savior that we bring with us. And so Anthem Church, thousand Oaks. I'll call the worship team up and, and Ryan. I just want to say this, that you are called, you are gifted, and you are needed. You are vital to this church being what it's meant to be. This church isn't meant to be a one, one-trick pony. It's meant to be a holistic picture of Jesus in this world of health and of wholeness. And as we close, I have three questions for you before we start. The response time. One, do you know what your gift is, what your giftings are? Two, what do you need to do to mature in those giftings? It's not enough to be gifted. Are you, are you gifted? Or are you growing in character? And three, will you open your heart to receive from these gifts? Not just today, but in an ongoing way. Even if they rub you the wrong way and they're different, will you receive what they long to offer you? Ryan, take over.